Are we doing it? Yes. Am I there? I'm here. Hello, Decided Church. This is weird. If it's weird for you, that is fine because it's weird for me as well. But hey, I am so thankful uh, to be here and to have this opportunity, thank you, husband, uh, to preach this message today on Mother's Day. Before we get into it, I just want to do a quick shout out to what I call um, the Corona crew. These people right here that you don't see, you see Stevie and you see Matthew, but the rest of them um, that are in the background behind the scenes, they are doing the most fantastic job. It's been a, an interesting past couple of weeks and we have all come together. This group is just phenomenal in coming together, thinking of new ideas on how we can better connect with you and how we can make this time apart um, worth its while. So a huge shout out to them. Guys, I am so grateful and I am so blessed to have the opportunity to share a message that has been on my heart for a good while. And I want to especially thank uh, Pastor Jim and Pastor Will for the gift, because that's exactly what this is. It's a gift to be doing this. And to think, uh, last year, it all started with a bucket list, okay? This little thing right here. If you don't know, literally in 10 days, I will be turning 30. I will be turning 30 years old. And if you know me, if you spend time with me, you will know that I'm not the most excited about this birthday. I am a huge Friends fanatic, the TV show, all right? I love Friends. And there's a character on that, on that series called Joey Tribbiani. If you know, you know. And there's an episode where all the gang, there's six of them, all the Friends are turning 30, and it showcases all the different characters and how they feel about the big number 30. And I feel like I resonate with Joey Tribbiani so well because he was literally like, why God, why? Take the others, not me. And that's literally how I feel. I don't know why 30 seems so scary for me, but it does. Um, I mean, my 20s were great. I love my 20s. There was so much growth. I feel like God packed a lot into 10 years of life. Um, with that being said, I want to show you something that has been around for a good minute. This right here, I wrote this, I think the day after the day of my 20th birthday, 2010. This thing has weathered 10 years. Not so well. You can see the rips and the tears. It's been crinkled a couple, a couple of times out of frustration. But literally the title of this list is Before I Am 30. And it is a bucket list of the things I wanted to do and achieve by the time I turned 30. And I'm going to read a couple of examples for you. Don't laugh, all right, because I'm going to be able to see this later. Um, a few examples are visit Colorado. I love Colorado. Never been there, but I love it. Learn to skateboard. Never did that. Um, have a half sleeve. I did this. This is something that I was able to check off. I have this beautiful half sleeve right here. I, I don't know why that was a goal when I was 20, but I did it. Own a Range Rover. Didn't do that. Uh, be a barista. That's right. 20-year-old Amanda wanted to work in a coffee shop. Learn to cook. I think I, I think I did that okay. Uh, get a dog. I do have a dog. Become a runner. I'm on my way there. I put a check mark next to it because, hey, we're halfway there. Um, become a recording artist. It's okay. It's okay. We're, uh, <laughs> more of these are not checked off than, than they are checked off. That's all right. And uh, get married and buy a house. 
And I can put a check mark next to both of, both of those things as well. And believe it or not, number one, two, three, four, five, number six on this before I turn 30 bucket list is preach a sermon. Now, the funny thing about that is at 20 years old, I was just starting to get my feet wet with Christianity. I was just starting to learn the ins and outs of the Bible and what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And before I even came to know the Lord as my Lord and Savior, I, for some reason, wanted to preach a sermon. So in front of my people today, in front of all of you guys, my church fam, I get to now check that off my before I'm 30 um, bucket list. So just a little tidbit for you. Um, now in 10 days, this list is no longer valid. So the other things that I had on there, they're going to have to cross over to my next bucket list before I turn 40. Um, so one thing that is not on this list that may be uh, a surprise to some of you is wanting to have children. That's right. I did not grow up thinking that I was one day going to have the desire and the want to start a family. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have the house. I wanted the dog, but I did not want children. And I'll tell you why. At the age of 15, I had my first job, all right? I'm a New Yorker, born and raised. I decided it was time for me to work, or maybe it was my mom that thought I should start working. And I got a job at, uh, up the street at a place called Party Playhouse. That's right, Party Playhouse. It was a place where we hosted birthday parties for children ages 1 through 10. I can still remember the script that I had to memorize in my head. And almost think like a giant Chick-fil-A play area. It overtook this building. It was a giant play area for kids. We had pizza. We had crafts. We had drinks. You could upgrade your package and get a really cool ice cream cake. And as I went up the totem pole of employment, I even got to dress up as some characters like Dora the Explorer. Uh, I was Elmo at one time. I think I was Bert and Ernie at another point. And working this job was a lot of fun. It was very high energy. I danced around a lot. We did the limbo, the Macarena, some other weird child birthday party dances. And I, I loved it. I loved it. But about a month in, I realized as much as I like this job, I do not want to have children. I think after the third or fourth time, I had to climb up in the indoor play area and clean out poop or vomit, <laughs> or I had kids, and I was dragging kids across the play area as they were pulling on my leg. I thought that they were sticky. I thought that they were icky. They were whiny. I had no interest in becoming a mom. I felt like I did not have a maternal bone in my body. But another thing is, is that that age, I had really big ambitions, okay? I wanted to be a star. I wanted to uh, moved to the city, New York City, and be on Broadway. I wanted to, like my bucket list stated, be a recording artist. I wanted to star in movies. I wanted to be an actress. And I felt like having a family would have held me back. I felt like even if I were to have a family, it would be unfair to drag children uh, around as I chased after my dreams. I was very much into what I wanted for my future. And I felt this way all the way up until February 2011. 
And that is the month and the year that I met my husband, Eric Jansen. Another thing I swore off was dating a Marine. But man, I'll tell you, he got out of that truck. He was in full uniform. He was in his camis. The sleeves were rolled. And I was like, okay, I'm yours. <laughs> I am here for it. I, this is great. This is great. And our love story happened extremely fast. Eric and I met in February of 2011, and we started dating immediately. Um, I did not believe in love at first sight. I thought that was something in like a Nicholas Sparks movie. I did not think it was for me. I thought it was hogwash. And then I met Eric. And I knew from the day that I met him that he was going to be mine forever. I was going to wheel him in. He was going to be mine. And three months after we started dating, uh, it was my 21st birthday, a year after I wrote this list, right? We were driving in his truck, and he looked over at me, and he said, let's get married. And I'm like, you know what? All right, let's do it. We went uh, back to my apartment. My parents were visiting from New York. He asked my dad's permission. He went through all the appropriate steps. Uh, for some crazy reason, they thought it was a good idea. And then little did we know, three months later, we would be getting married in August of 2011. So yes, we met, dated, fell in love, got engaged, whatever you want to call it, and then got married all within six months of knowing each other and with Eric being in the military. It's like we had literally nothing going for us at all. All the signs pointed to this is going to be a failure, okay? They're just doing it for the money. But we were. We were so in love, and I loved being a wife. I loved having that title. I loved carrying his last name. It was worth more its weight in gold. I loved being a Jansen, and I still do, almost nine years later. When we got married, it was like some kind of switch within me um, was suddenly just flipped on and I just had visions of, oh my gosh, I want to be a mom. And it came so out of left field. It was a desire. You heard me talk about it before that I had, I wanted nothing to do with it. I did not want to be a mom. But all of a sudden I had these visions of buying this cute house with a wraparound porch and a white picket fence and having some kind of big dog running around the yard and a tire swing in the back and having, um, having a window over my sink so that when I was washing up after dinner, I could see my husband and our kids and that dog uh, running around in the backyard. I wanted all of it. I wanted to be a mom immediately. And to be honest, it was quite scary. I still felt like um, it, it wasn't something that I would be good at. It wasn't very nurturing. I was very um, I was very into what I wanted to do, but falling in love and getting married, I guess it just does it for you. And within six months of being married, we move fast. Have y'all noticed that? We get married in six months, and then within six months of being married, Eric and I decided in January of 2012 that we were going to start to try to expand our family. And little did we know at the time that we were about to enter a period of our lives that would literally knock us off of our feet. Um, we have been what feels like in a season of waiting more than we haven't been in a season of waiting. It's been eight years on and off of dealing with infertility and loss 
and it included a lot of uh, deep heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, and a lot of grief trying to grow our family. But I will say, in the same breath, it was also eight years filled with tremendous amounts of growth, um, growing incredibly close to my husband, and then more important, growing a deeper relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I know that this day can be very tough for a lot of people out there, and not just women, but men too. I know that this day can bring up a lot of hurt feelings, especially for those that are also in the weight of trying to grow their family. But this message this message was written with you and myself and our family and our testimony in mind, but it's also for anyone that finds themselves in a waiting season. I guess you could say we're all in a waiting season right now, right? All of us. We're waiting for things to kind of go back to normal, or we're waiting to see what our new normal will be after this uh, coronavirus pandemic season ends, right? I don't claim to know everything. There's a lot that I don't know, and there's a lot that I'm still figuring out. However, Eric and I, our family has learned and experienced a lot in our eight years of being in a deep season of waiting. <laughs> For us, that was a baby, waiting on a baby. And today I am so honored to share just a small tidbit of things that I have learned about God in the season of our wait in a sermon entitled, Are We There Yet? We're going to pray first and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. You know that it has been um, a strong desire on my heart to not only share our testimony, but just to shine a light on who you are in seasons of darkness and just the character of your heart in seasons of weight. God, I ask that you replace me with you and your words. This is your testimony for your glory, God. And I pray that that is shown today within this message. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to take a sip of water. This is awkward. Any, any message I've ever watched or sermon, when they take water, it's just like, what do we do? Cool. All right. So I tried to do this very Jim and Will style. I tried to adopt their style of doing the points because I know for me, when I'm taking notes, I like to have th things labeled. I am very type B. I am not type A at all, but we're going to try this and see if it works out. So point number one, in our waiting, God is in control. And we're going to read um, a few verses from Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all of your heart and mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him and he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. Now, when it comes to God being in control, I have to say, in my own season of waiting, this is the thing that I struggled with the most. Again, I am not type B or not type A. I'm very much blow where the wind takes me. Let's be spontaneous. I'm a seven on the Enneagram scale, if you know what that means. I'm very much a let's see where life takes us and we'll arrive when we arrive. But when it came to trying to start a family, my personality switched and I became literally the exact opposite. 
And trying to control that circumstance of, of having a baby and expanding our family is what led me to disobedience the most in our walk. The, the feeling that I'm just sitting here waiting on God to do something and I'm doing nothing. It almost made me stir crazy. Like, what do I do? What steps can I take? Um, does he need me to do something? Is he waiting on me to move? Should I wait on him to move? What do I do? I can't just sit here and wait for the miracle to happen. My thoughts would often be, maybe if I do blank, this will speed the process up. Have y'all ever felt that before? Whatever that insert that you can put in for your own circumstance, maybe if I do blank, it will just speed up the process. And to be honest, this is a very dangerous thought to think because this is where the enemy creeps in and convinces us that we can play the role of God and take matters into our own hands. And take another sip of water. <laughs> when our daughter was about six months old, Eric and I decided in February of 2015 that we would go ahead and start trying for a second child. We had a lot of struggle with McKenna with trying to get pregnant the first time. Almost two years of waiting to become pregnant with her, we thought we could maybe get a, a head start on things, right? And about a month into trying uh, for another child, I was having quiet time, and I felt the Lord told me, plain as day, I mean, there was no mistake in that this was the voice of God telling me, Amanda, your second child is not going to be biological. And I remember I was journaling, I was writing things down and my pen was just going wild and I wrote that and I read it and I just sat there for a minute and I thought, oh, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what, what do you mean our, our second child is not meant to be biological? Nothing against adoption, nothing against it at all, but I, I, wanted, I wanted more biological children. What does this mean? And it took some time for Eric and I to, to talk things out and to kind of figure out, okay, if God is leading us to something, what is it and how are we going to get there? And the first thing that the Lord revealed to us that we were to go through in order to um, fulfill his purpose for our life was to become foster parents. So in January of 2018, we were almost a year into our foster journey. We had just received the placement of a three-day-old baby boy, and I had that, that, um, that restless feeling in me, that feeling like, oh, is this going to be it? Like, is he going to be the child that we adopt? What does God want from us? This is our fifth placement. Why hasn't it happened yet? And it's this feeling of, I feel like I'm sitting still and I'm doing nothing. What can I do to speed God's timeline up? What can I do to take control of the situation? And Eric and I decided that we were going to seek treatment at a fertility clinic and that at the very least we were just going to get some tests done and see maybe a more specific idea of what is what's going on with us. Why can't we get pregnant? We started that in January of 2018. The test came back. Um, everything with Eric checked out fine. For me, believe it or not, the doctors were mind blown because they said, you're pretty much perfect. Your reproductive health is pretty much perfect. You should have no problem getting pregnant, but let's try a few things 
to see if we can help the process along. So we did. We did three months worth of treatments, medication and shots and um, uh, timely things, you know what I mean? Just uh, things that we had to do to have a successful pregnancy and nothing, nothing was working. The first month went by and I thought, okay, maybe it's just nerves. Maybe, maybe we're overthinking this. We should just kind of relax the next round. And so we went through another round. Nothing happened. By the third round, we were so fed up. My husband, Eric, was so fed up with us trying to manipulate God's plan to fit our plan that I remember one night he had a very hard conversation with me and said, look, this isn't working. We've got to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. We have to stop taking control of what we want and trust the Lord, lean on his understanding. And at that point, I was not, I was so far gone. I was relying on what I thought to be true and what I thought was best for our family. I wasn't recognizing or acknowledging him or his ways at all. And to be honest, That was just a true reflection of my heart. That was a true reflection of the lack of trust I had in the Lord, a true reflection of the lack of confidence that I had in God to fulfill his promise to our family. So by March of 2018, I didn't even bother. We went through all the treatment again, but I I didn't even bother going to my last appointment to see if it had been successful. Um, I already knew that it wasn't going to be because we were destined for something else. And it was in March of 2018 that our family started the road to, uh, to domestically adopt. It's not easy to take your grasp off of something that means so near and dear to you. It's not, I get it. It's so much easier said than done when someone says, stop taking control and let God take over. It's like, okay, well what, well, what does that mean? And you know what? Sometimes our job in a waiting season is to do exactly what I did not want to do. Sit back and let God work. Trust in his plans. Trust and acknowledge his ways. Sometimes our job in a waiting season is to just surrender. And within my own journey in motherhood and to adding members to our family, I needed to to come to terms with and discover joy that God was going to answer our prayers to deliver us a baby. It just wasn't going to be in the way that I had planned. And I learned that when we come to the Father and we come and we're, we're so tightly grasped to what we want to see happen, we gotta open our hands in worship. We gotta open our hands in surrender and watch amazing things happen from the Lord. That's point number one. How y'all doing so far? I wish I could see you guys. I really wish I could see y'all, but um, all right. So yeah, point number, point number two is in our waiting, God is working. We're gonna take it to Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I'm going to say something, and y'all aren't going to like it. God's timing is best. 
And I know, (laughs) I know it's one of those cliche Christian responses, right? You have a hurting friend or a hurting family member that comes to you. um, They're they're waiting on something. They're in a deep season of wait. And the first response that comes to our mind is, yeah, just wait it out. God's timing is best. God knows best. I can't tell you how many times out of good nature and out of pure love from people that know us and people that walk that journey with us that have said, in God's timing, in God's timing, and every time I just smile, you're right, (laughs) you're right, I know, tell me something that I don't know, and inwardly, I was just rolling my eyes, because I already knew this. People in the wait, you know that this is the last thing that you want to hear, but it's also the most important thing that we need to be reminded of, and to be honest, within our testimony, It wasn't until we were on the other side. It wasn't until we were out of our waiting season that I truly started to appreciate God's timeline for our family. And when you're in the middle, when you're in the mess, it's hard to see the big picture. It's hard to recognize that God is moving behind the scenes in ways that we can't even fathom, in ways that will be revealed to us down the road, in ways that we won't know until we're on the other side of heaven. Listen to the second half of this verse. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Y'all, I feel that so deep in my spirit. And when I look back on the timeline that God had created for our family as we were waiting to add children to our family, there are so many details that I now see. So many dots that I have made connections like, oh, he put this person in this place at that time, or he had us listen to this sermon, or we went to this conference, or this happened and this happened, all for the greater good of his purpose for our family. When, um, when we were waiting to have a baby the first time, when we were trying for a family the first time, this is with our oldest daughter, McKenna. I want to share some cool details with you. Um, Eric and I, at another church that we attended before here, we were saved November 7th of 2013. Almost two years into waiting to add to our family, two years of trying to conceive a child, November 7, 2013, we were saved. We surrendered our lives to the Lord, and we proclaimed him as Lord and Savior and recognized him for what he had done. Literally a month later, a month later, As we were seeking our first round of infertility treatments, we found out that we were pregnant. We were already pregnant. And to get into a little bit of, I don't know, maybe TMI, whatever, we're all family. When they were tracing things back like they do, like the OBGYNs will do to kind of get an estimate of what your due date will be. They trace the date that McKenna was conceived back to when Eric and I were saved. That is a detail only God could have orchestrated. I love sharing that. Another cool detail about our journey in the waiting is when we were chosen by our son Maverick, who is adopted, our son's birth mother. So when we finally decided to pursue infant adoption, we were going through a whole bunch of different agencies and we were asking other people that had adopted and we were trying to get opinions and feels of what would be the best avenue for us to do, maybe a consultant, maybe an agency, maybe just a lawyer. 
We finally decided on an agency in Greenville, South Carolina. And this place was so reputable that they had a wait list before you could even go active to pursue adoption and to be chosen by a mother considering adoption for her child. So when we decided to work with this agency, we were put on what they called their waiting families list. And we waited and we waited. We were, we were in the wait to wait. We were waiting to wait. Does that make sense? And we kept waiting. And by January of 2019, we were seven months as a waiting family to go active. And then we finally went active that month of 2019. Not only that, but Eric and I, as we were pursuing adoption, we were in our seventh year of marriage. And then when we were waiting to be chosen by a mom, we were finally chosen by our son's birth mother in July of 2019. July is the seventh month of the year. And we had been waiting actively with our agency for seven months. Come on. Come on. And we all know what the number seven represents in the Bible, right? Not only that, but... When Eric and I were foster parents, we welcomed, you guessed it, seven children into our home. And when we were deciding to pursue adoption, we went through each and every child, and we talked about and we prayed over what each child represented in our walk to adoption, what each child brought to the table so that God could do a work in our heart and make us realize that we could love a child like our own that technically was not our own. And it's crazy to look back and see all of that, all the detail, and see how God put it all together. And now we have these amazing testimonies that literally prove how God is in every single detail, both seen and unseen, on his own timetable. So, so far, guys, we've got point number one, in our waiting, God is in control. Point number two, in our waiting, God is working. And then my favorite, what I feel is most important, is point number three, in our waiting, God will develop and grow our character. This is the not-so-fun part. Waiting for a dream, waiting for a desire to be fulfilled can be hard enough, right? But when God uses it as an opportunity to grow and stretch us, it can be downright painful. There are few things harder to me in life than having to look in the own mirror and realize my shortcomings. And for God to lovingly point out, lovingly, because he's our father and we are his children and he loves us enough to discipline us and and point out and convict us to the things that we need to change, right? For God to lovingly point out what needs to be corrected, what idols need to be removed, what I need to get rid of in my heart and in my spirit and replace with just him, knowing at the end of the day that God is enough. Putting our dreams and our our desires aside, it came to a point where I knew God was growing and stretching me to replace that idol of a pregnancy, that idol of having more biological children, and then eventually just the idol of growing our family and replace it just with the goodness of Jesus. His presence alone 
should be enough. And slowly he was teaching me, painfully he was teaching me, and it was so worth it, guys. Think about this. Your waiting period could be exactly what God is using as a time of self-examination, an opportunity for our old selves to be crushed and pressed and made into new wine. Think of this entire pandemic that we are going through right now. Think of how stores have shut down, schools have shut down. The world literally seems like it's at a standstill. And like I mentioned before in the beginning, we're waiting for things to go back to normal or we're waiting to find our new normal. What if we stopped looking for the prize? What if we stopped looking for the light at the end of the tunnel? What if we even stopped looking for the blessing and just focused on what God is trying to do now? Does that sound familiar? I feel like uh, one of our pastors has already preached that, right? We need to take time right now in this season for self-examination. Romans 5, 3 through 5 speaks perfectly about this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Y'all know this, come on. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In our journey to adoption, the miracle of our son was indeed proof of God's faithfulness. It was indeed proof of God's goodness. The journey to to having McKenna was just proof, again, of God's faithfulness and his goodness. But it's not the blessing itself that provides the growth. That's the reward. That's the end prize. It was all of that messy stuff in the middle. See, when we talk about a calling or we talk about our journey to whatever it is that God has for us, in our case, it was adding to our family. We love to talk about the beginning, right? When we have all these revelations of what God is trying to do and what God is stirring in our heart, it's exciting, it's new, what could be happening, what's gonna come in the future. And then it's like we like to skip over the rest of that stuff and talk about the end result. We like to talk about the blessing. We like to preach the the happy end ending, but what about all that messy junk in the middle? That's what creates endurance, and that is what helps shape our character. So let's not look at our seasons of waiting as just something to get through so that we can get what we want. Let's really learn and grow through our seasons and through our trials. When we were waiting for our son to be born, It was a Tuesday in September, September 10th of this past year. I was scrolling through Facebook and uh, with sparing some details that are obviously personal to our son's testimony of adoption, I had discovered that he was born and that he was already nine days old and he was in the NICU and he was barely hanging on. And... In that moment, it felt like all of the weight that we had just endured, all of the heartache, all of the loss completely went out the window. And I was so focused on what what can we do to get to him? What can we do to see this through? And I remember the weight that next couple of days while we 
were trying to figure out what was going to happen. What was, what was mom going to decide on? Were we going to welcome him into our family or not? They were the most excruciating days of my life. Being in the unknown, being in this dark place, like, God, what are you doing? You're going to have us wait some more. We were so close. We were so close. What is this? What is this wrench in the plan? Why are you going to make us wait longer? And for, the, and for those, our community, our family that walked through those couple of days with us, you know just how hard it was. I literally felt like our family was spinning around in the dark trying to find a way out and we just couldn't. And finally, after what felt like we were trying to once again manipulate the situation, we went through those steps. We gave it to God. We put him back in the driver's seat. We gave him the control. And then we trusted his timing. We trusted his plans. We acknowledged his ways and we waited and we waited until he said it was time to move. And then three days later, September, Friday the 13th, he officially became ours. And I remember within those couple of days as Eric and I were just praying, as people around us were just praying, I felt so weak. I felt like I had no more strength to give our situation, but yet it was coming from somewhere. It was coming like buckets upon, upon our family, buckets of strength out of nowhere, just over and over and over again. And I knew that it was God creating endurance in us. I knew that it was God strengthening us. In conclusion, being refined and stretched and grown is hard. The end result, the light at the end of the tunnel can seem so distant and like what we are going through is for nothing. And when we're in a season of wait and we're praying for something specifically, it feels like everyone around us is getting what we want, that everyone around us, their prayers are being answered, but what about us? I get that. The wait is hard, but let's allow God to use it to grow us and build our endurance, just like it says in Romans 5. Let's learn to trust God even when we don't understand and truly proclaim and believe that he is good and that he is faithful. Let's allow ourselves in waiting seasons in spite of the pain to be crushed and pressed into something new because, friends, there is so much freedom on the other side of that. There is so much freedom in knowing that you are becoming more like Jesus. In our family, the miracles that are our children are proof of just that. That scared me. Jim sneezed if you didn't hear that on the live. <laughs> Guys, the Jansen family, our family, we did not walk out of our waiting season the same. We were changed from the inside out. It was hard, it was tough, and it was messy. But you know what? I would go through all of it again, to not only have the blessings that God gave us, but to have this deep forming relationship with our heavenly father. We have learned so much about his heart and his character and what he promises through seasons of wait. Thank you. I hope this message has encouraged you. We're going to pray and then we're going to um, sing out our last song. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much that you put us through things so that you can shape us and refine us, so that you can make us more into the image of your son. 
We know that the wait is hard. We know that seasons of waiting can be difficult. We know that we want to take control of our circumstances. God, I pray today for those of us that are waiting for the Lord to deliver the miracle, for God to have breakthrough, that we can trust that his ways are best, that his timing is best. And that through it all, through all the pain, through all of the trial, through all of the the loss and the heartache, that he is creating us to be new. Jesus, thank you so much for who you say you are and who you promise to be. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message.